Hello everyone, Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-yard NFL podcast. Yes, Monday night. Welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Full 10 Yards NFL podcast after another wild and wonderful week of NFL action. Uh, let's welcome the boys in because we've got a different set of uh, players on the pitch this week. Josh is with me as usual. Welcome in, Josh. How are you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm all good. I was actually able to really enjoy Sunday. Just uh, not have to worry about my team at all. Watch Red Zone, me and a pizza. Fantastic cracking night in. Yeah, yeah, it does make a difference when you play Thursday night. But um, yeah, still plenty of good uh, tight finishes. We're going to get into it all as we get throughout the course of the hour or so. Um, but Steve is the other side of the pond. Steve's actually over in the States. He's hoping to go and get to see his beloved Eagles this weekend. So good luck, mate, if you're listening and uh, in grabbing yourself some tickets because I know that they're going to be uh, selling like hotcakes now after the Eagles start. So we've got a more than adequate replacement, though, bringing in off the bench. Hasn't been on one of these pods for a while, but uh, he's raring to go. James, welcome in, buddy. How are you doing, mate? Hello. It has indeed been nearly two years since I was on one of these, but uh, glad to be back. Although as uh, a stealer in what is apparently Brown's territory, uh, I also had the ability of being able to enjoy Sunday without uh, my team playing, but for a very different reason. Um, but no. Yeah, I'm sorry, James. I'm, I'm I completely so forgot, here. mate. I've completely, even despite the uh, the jerseys behind you, I completely forgot. So. Uh, I, I'm, I gonna to, I'm gonna have to just wreck the wife Jags fanness. I think yeah, you'll be safe, mate. It's a safe space. Thursday night football, a long time ago now, so we'll hardly touch on it. There's plenty to talk about from Sunday, and let's get straight into it, guys. I've asked uh, at the start of each pod, tell me one thing you loved in the NFL this week. So, Josh, I'm going to start with you, mate. What thing did you love in the NFL this weekend? Oh, God, what did I love in the NFL this weekend? Um, I'm just trying to remember if anybody else actually had this already, but probably uh, let's go with punt watch just as a as a thing, right? So the fact that Sunday Night Football, for example, had 17 punts within it, I mean, that's that's one thing in general. But then also you have just the most majestic punt of all time, of which was a few hours earlier. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't even describe it. It was the Miami Dolphins punt into... Uh, how do I put this politically? Into the rectum of the blocker <laughs> for, for the punter. And the ball is seeming, I mean, I'm looking at a photo of it right now, and it's a fantastic photo of it. I don't know how on earth it balloons up in the air and somehow bounces safely out of the end zone for only a safety, uh, which actually probably ended up winning the Dolphins the game because if it had just stopped in the end zone, it would have been recovered by the Bills and it would have been a touchdown. But uh, yeah, just the madness of a variation, I suppose, between an incredibly drab game with almost a hilarious 
amount of puns, but then also some that really matter and get pinned down. And there was a couple like that, actually, um, over the course of Sunday as well. So, uh, yeah, just just the uh, the spectrum, I suppose, of, um, <laughs> yeah, it, special, special teams. Got to special teams. Yeah, look, you, you've mentioned it. So it's got to obviously be now known in folklore, isn't it, as the butt punt. And, and let's talk about that game. <laughs> so obviously it was the one that was, it was on the Sky coverage. It was probably the one in the early window that everybody wanted. Um Poor old Jim Nance and Tony Ramo having the uh, Colts and Chiefs call when uh, the GOAT Kevin Harlan got this one. I mean, fair play. It's about time Kevin Harlan got the recognition he deserves. Um, but, but, I mean, really, really strange game, wasn't it, overall? And obviously it came down to a few players at the end, which we'll touch on. But let's, let's talk about the game in general, James, because it was, it was a game against two teams that were obviously unbeaten going in. First time, I think, since something ridiculous like 1995 that these two played with sole possession of the division on the line, which shows you how dominant the Patriots have been over that period. Yeah. Um, but it was a really weird game, wasn't it? It just felt as though the Bills basically dominated it without winning it, which was just a really bizarre ending in the end, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was just a bit crazy, let's be honest. But it was one of those where you just felt Okay, this is the point where the Bills get it over the line. This is the point where the Bills get over the line. And then the further you went, I was like, is this the bit where they get it over the line? And then Trent Sherfield effectively, if the Miami Dolphins have rear of the year, he's got it on solid buns alone on that one. Um, but as Josh said, that probably did, was the game winner in some ways, which, you know, a game winning safety. I mean, you could argue that this weekend we've had two game winning safeties after what happened on Sunday night as well. So, um, it's yeah, just, and, and then it's there was mad. another game winning safety last week. We've had three game winning safeties in the space of seven days of football. That's that's actually mad, yeah, totally bonkers. I'm just going to read some stats, there, mate, from this game because I mean, the Buffalo Bills at the end of yesterday, I've got to be honest, I was just expecting that the next thing I was going to see was somebody running on the field with an oxygen tank because everybody was collapsing. the the stadium in Miami, for those that don't know, was deliberately built in the direction and everything that it is for that very reason, to put the opposing team in the Miami sunlight for that duration of the game. Very clever, but on a day like yesterday, when the weather was what it was, it was a huge, huge, huge advantage for the Dolphins. The Bills held the ball, fellas, for 42 minutes in this game compared to 19 minutes for the Miami Dolphins. The Bills gained 497 yards to Miami's 212 yards. They were 11 of 18 on third down and 2 for 3 on fourth down. I've got to be honest, I'm still struggling even 24 hours on to really understand how they've managed to lose. The, the match doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, and it's one of those anomalies. But look, the, the, the big talking point, I suppose, the butt fumble will be the thing that gets remembered in terms of the funniness, but... The big thing is probably the tour situation, isn't it? Because he took it, look, it wasn't a it wasn't a terrible hit. It was late, it was unnecessary, but you know, let's be honest, it wasn't it wasn't a terrible hit by any stretch of the imagination from Milano. Um, but obviously the way that Tua's head hit the ground, um, more and more to the point, the way that when he got up, he seriously had a wobble. Um, and look, he, let's be honest, he went into concussion testing. And everybody just assumed that not only was he out for the rest of that game, 
that the Bengals were coming up on Thursday night football and he probably wasn't going to be on the field for that game. And then lo and behold, out he trots for the second half. Um, and to be fair, he didn't look none the worse. He, he played well in the limited time he was actually on the field, I think it's fair to say. Um, you know, so what was your view, Josh, of, of two when we said at the start of the season, such a huge season for him? Um, you know, But now, you know, three games in, all things going well for them. Yeah, I think that first of all on that, I think that uh, the Bills having so much of the ball may have helped to uh, in a way, you know, keep him off the field for as much as possible um, because I refuse to believe that there wasn't at least some, uh, you know, some elements perhaps of a concussion. I, I, I can't imagine that it was 100% sound, but him only being gone for a certain amount of time definitely helped. Uh, I think that Tua has... Two has done very well and surprisingly well, I think, actually, for those of us that weren't believers in Tua in terms of the start of his season. And you can see where he excels. Um, I do think that a massive shout out does need to be given to Mike McDaniels um, for, you know, being able to create plays and schemes where players are very wide open in deep pockets. Um, A lot of a lot of the stuff is over the top or it's created so that the um, the in-route is in tons of space. And the receivers, the Miami's receivers are really good and they've been obviously brought into the team to be able to get yards after the catch and be able to be speedy and to go on, which is you know another reason as to why they didn't spend a lot of time out there because realistically they either get it and run or they stop the clock because they don't actually catch the ball in the first place um i think that miami's attack is more of a blitz attack so you know when when they're on they're really on and um you know let let's not let let's not shy away too much from give from landing a little bit of criticism as well they didn't score a lot of points uh yesterday uh the bills were a little banged up but they did what they had to um you know in pressure situations they were able to keep the ball moving and put the bills into difficult situations in terms of field position um this isn't a this isn't a world beating offense by any stretch of the imagination but it's a very good offense and tour is doing a good job at um taking what's given to him yeah no i think that's i think that's fair mate and like you say i think mike mcdaniel certainly in the early going by far the most impressive of the uh of the new hires in terms of the the head coaches on the on the cycle this time around um Let's move on, because we'll probably talk a little bit about the Bills again a little bit later on. But, uh, James, tell me one thing you loved in the NFL this weekend. Now, so moving away from butt punts, but we're going to talk about a big man here. Um, Vita Vea. Now, ultimately, this wasn't a game-winning play, but it could have very much been in another world. But uh, £347 of Vita Vea, usually on defensive line for the Bucks dropped back into coverage against Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Rodgers passed to Jones, uh, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones caught it, runs, sees Vita Vea on the goal line, and suddenly he doesn't have the ball anymore, and it's punched out for a fumble. One of those plays where you, you have to look at, you have to look at, I think it was Todd Bowles in, and sort of his decision. It's like, I don't know how you've come to that decision as to why you thought this was a good idea, 
but I will applaud you. It was a good idea. Uh, so, yeah, there was that moment. I mean, in some ways, it's a pity for the Bucks that it wasn't a game winner, but I did just love the just, you know, you are, everyone looks like a big man touchdown when they, an offensive line. Um, offensive lineman's eligible and just captures the ball in the end zone. That's always fun. But I thought this is like the defensive equivalent. I thought it was brilliant. No, absolutely, mate. And look, like you say, it ultimately didn't end up winning them the game. But what it certainly did in terms of that game was it really, really changed and altered momentum. If you look at the the starts of the game, Green Bay got off to an an unbelievably good start. You know, 75-yard touchdown drive, 71-yard touchdown drive. And then that drive had covered 60 yards before the fumble. And like you say, it was going in again. Um, It was the best that the Green Bay offense has looked all season. But I'm just going to run you through what happened after that drive. So bear in mind, 75, 71 and 60 yards. You're talking over 200 yards of offense in the first three series. They then went three plays for eight yards, four plays for seven yards, three plays for six, three plays for five, ended with an interception. Four plays for 18, three plays for one, four plays for eight, eight plays for 37. I mean, the offense just completely and utterly disappeared. Now, the only surprising thing, Josh, and I know your other half's obviously a Bucks fan, is the fact that Tom Brady couldn't muster enough on the other side to actually get the Bucks back and, and sort of ahead on the scoreboard at any point because they never really did recover from that slow start. Um, you know, but I think these are two teams that are powerhouses in terms of their names, in terms of the star power they've got at the quarterback position. But this wasn't really a good advert for either of them, was it? No, and what it is an advert for is um to move away from this idea that you can have a star quarterback and nobody else and it will just work because the quarterback will elevate those around them. So the Bucks have had a you know a number of injuries and suspensions uh in regards to their offensive weapons. I think that um I think at one point the uh, most credible receiver that um, that Tom Brady had out there was Cole Beasley, who was brought in like 24 hours previously. As soon as he was brought into a play, he caught the ball, to be fair. But that shows you as to how desperate the books are to actually have receivers at the moment. So they've... Um, that they've been a little unfortunate in terms of uh, the injury bug. And obviously Mike Evans was serving his one game suspension for just pushing a guy in a, in a world where, you know, people push people on every single down, but you know, whatever um, the, pa- the Packers as well, you know, really see they've just got hall of famer, Alan Lazard, um, you, you know, and you know, realistically, it's it's a case of what are we doing here? These are two franchises that are supposed to have blistering offenses. They've now got no one to actually give the ball to, and especially if you come up against good good defenses, you know, these two are good defenses, the Bucks and the Packers. You know, if you're going in there with no weapons, then I'm actually surprised the score wasn't even lower. We had we had a we, we had an incredibly low Sunday night football game. This score probably should have even been lower than that. So uh, yeah, turns out if you have a good QB, you better have at least two weapons to be able to use with them. And the Packers themselves have got two weapons. It's just that they both happen to be running backs. Um, yes. I think their one-two punch really is Jones and Dillon, and they're predicated mostly on say defense wins it, but we'll have two batter and run running backs. It was the Browns' philosophy, as you'll probably know more, better than me. Um, but it looks—I mean, the Packers 
Romeo Dobbs looks like he actually could live up to the hype in preseason. He was like the first fantasy darling when there was just notifications that, oh, Aaron Rodgers normally doesn't talk about rookies, but he likes Romeo Dobbs. And like, oh, okay. Okay, we'll pay attention. Eight, eight of eight for 73 and a touchdown, if you ignore the fumble. Um, and that touchdown in itself was quite an effort and fight to get it over the line. But they might have something there that might just be enough for the long run. And say the books just need to get people healthy and off suspensions. And they should probably be fine as well. It was just one of those games where it was never going to build, you know, live up to any hype with the two names you've got at QB. Yeah, no, most definitely. Like you said, the books need to get healthy. Uh, obviously, in a very favourable division, though. Um, in terms of the conference, though, the thing that I loved in the NFL this week, fellas, is those two wide receivers at uh, Philadelphia, Devonta Smith and AJ Brown. They have surely got to be in the conversation for the best one-two punch in terms of wide receivers. There's a few contenders and candidates for that, but these two are going to be right up there. Um, AJ Brown, um, another touchdown for him yesterday. He just used his big body, didn't he, to, to sort of box out the defender. Um, another touchdown, five for 85 and a touchdown. But was really probably outshone yesterday by Devontae Smith, who just seemed to be a highlight reel all on his own. Some of the catches he pulled off yesterday were absolutely yeah. incredible. Touchdown was an incredible one, and not the kind of catch you'd probably expect from him. You'd probably expect it from AJ Brown being tough and physical over the top of a defender, but that's exactly what Devontae Smith did. Um, and the Eagles absolutely battered the commanders, battered them. Um, when you fun talk facts, about though, for, sorry, fun fact all of Philadelphia's points were in the second quarter, yeah, Every no, single I was one just... of them. All 24, gonna, mad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, did I steal say, your thunder there, mate? No, no, I was just going to say they took their get the foot off the gas in the in the second period. But, you know, the, the, the best stat of the weekend for me was at half-time in that game, the commanders had got a net minus 16 passing yards. <laughs> minus 16 passing yards in the, in the half. You know, Carson Wentz at the time was 3 of 10 for, I think, 40 yards. Um, or or something like that, but he'd taken 60-odd yards of sacks. So, yeah, they were actually at net minus passing yards. Um, James, having had you obviously on the pod for the last couple of weeks, and Steve's obviously the resident Eagles fan, and he, he, he's trying to keep... put his hat on if you want. He's trying, to put, he's trying to keep expectations low, but let's be honest, they've been the best team in the NFC so far, haven't they? And I don't think it's even close. I agree. It's not even close. They actually look the most complete team is as complete as you can really be in the NFL nowadays. And we've, I mean, we've said many times the NFC isn't necessarily the strongest overall, but the Eagles look like one of the contenders full stop, in my opinion. Devonta Smith, he, I think people forget some in some ways. Week one, he scored, he, well, he didn't touch the ball in week one. Hmm. He did, yeah, fancy people were already calling for his head saying, oh, can we drop him now? Can we drop him? And they're like, no, be patient. It's a two-person thing. It's not just AJ Brown's offense. And, uh, you know, the balance of power just seems to shift. They've got two outstanding weapons. And after this week, you now don't know which one is going to go off on any given week. The running game they've got is not atrocious. Everyone, If anyone remembers me being on a podcast two years ago for fantasy, we'll know I like Dallas Goddard as a player. So that's fine at tight ends. And Jalen Hurts is capable both passing and rushing as well, which um, you know, was obviously the thing he was very much maligned for was you know not being a particular passer. But I think he's now he's got the weapons. He's proven that completely incorrect. So 
I'm all about that hype train. Yeah, most yeah, definitely, and... mate. Most definitely. Go on, Josh. Add and, your and, two pence worth. Yeah, as a spoiler alert, I've drafted up the uh, the power rankings for next week, and unless Dallas win tonight by triple digits, it the <laughs> Eagles are definitely the uh, the the Eagles will definitely be top of the uh, the NFC when it comes to the power rankings come tomorrow morning. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, think keep the best they can wish is getting up ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, like that college game. My goodness. But uh yeah, put it this way, kneeling if, on the two pointer. Put it this way. If Dal if Dallas get to ninety-eight and kneel on the two pointer, I'll put them top of the tree just anyway, because that would be total <laughs> shit housery. But if they um, go for it and miss though the second, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Fact. Okay, we've got the ground rules. <laughs> Yeah, there, there we go. Those are the rules of engagement, Cooper. So uh, ju just so you know. But uh, yeah, the, the Eagles have been almost unstoppable on both sides of the ball. But I find it really interesting that for all three games so far, the offense is super electric. And then they just, it's almost as if they, they, they do a speed test. They get it up to 100 mile an hour. And then they go, right, done that. Back down to second gear, put the brakes on, let it, let it ride, and just uh, see as to how the game folds after that. All three games they've seemingly done that. It's almost as if they don't want to go that. Maybe it's a case of saving themselves um, for, for the rest of the season. It, it might actually be clever coaching play in in that case. But I feel like this team, if they need to keep at fourth, fifth gear, that it's going to be very interesting because they can score a lot of points. Yeah, certainly, like I say, for me, being the most impressive so far. So that was what we loved over the course of this weekend. And as we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, Josh, I'm going to throw it over to you this week to take us through three um, three statements that you've come up with based after watching this week's action, mate. So straight over to you, buddy. Give us statement number one. Well, I want to be as controversial as you and Steve have been for the last uh, few of these because, uh, you, know, you know, I feel like we are still in an overreaction phase. And after this week, especially whilst trying to do the power rankings of this overreaction, I've started to succumb to it a little bit. The first statement, now I'll give a little proviso as to why on this one before rocking it over to any objections. Only one AFC West team will make the postseason. The AFC West has suddenly gone from being the darling of the NFL, talked about by everyone, to the division that everyone wants to just stuff underneath the bed and not actually talk about for weeks because all of a sudden it's be it, it's become a division where I, I can barely pick a winner for next week, for example. So the Chiefs have not been calling games well this season. Even in their win against the Chargers, it should have been the Chargers winning that game. They they sort of handed the game almost literally to the Chiefs on that interception, for example. And then in that game, they also then injured Justin Herbert and start this terrible injury run of which the Chargers are now on. I can't see the Chargers having the talent in depth to be able to continue challenging for the AFC West title and even for a wild card spot at this point, I think they're going to miss too many games that they should be winning 
Um, you, you know, you look at that Jags game, that, that for me was a lock um, before this injury worry um, stepped in. Now, all of a sudden, you know, even as a Browns fan, I'm looking at that Chargers game and I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting. And I had that as an absolute lock for the Chargers even seven days ago. Um, the Denver Broncos, can can the real Denver Broncos offense please stand up? Can they? Or is Russell Wilson just too small that he looks like he's standing sitting down, but he's actually standing up? Um, because I'm sorry, but Denver's offense is a myth at the moment. They're fantastic on defense, but if they can only score 11 to 15 points a game, then against some of these teams, particularly in the AFC, they're just not going to be able to do enough. And the Raiders, I was actually really high on the Raiders coming into this season, and I've actually seen one power rankings decide to put them dead last, of which I give no credence to, by the way. But, you know, it shows just how bad they've actually been to start the season that, you know, some are pulling the panic button out and pressing it really hard. So, yeah, personally, for me, I reckon that the Chiefs end up being that team, but I reckon only one team actually gets it instead of, as I'd been predicting all the way through uh, the summer, three teams. So a bit of a 180 on that one, chaps. Yeah, James, I'll throw it to you, mate, to get um, to get your view on it first. Um, like you said, I think Josh is sort of probably given a fair reasoning behind that, but like I said, let's get yeah. your view on it, mate. What's, what's your take on the West? So I have been looking into this sort of as a whole, so to speak. And if you kind of go on the assumption that the Dolphins and Bills are going to be locks in the East, Chiefs probably going to lock the West, the Ravens, I imagine, will lock up North, and someone's got to win the AFC South. You know, and, and to be honest, it's probably a three-horse race, which I didn't think going into this season. But the Jags in that game against the Chargers, kind of put their hands up and said, do you know what? If no one's going to take it, we might have a go. You know, yeah. like the, you know, the little kid at the back that's finally fought up some courage now that it's it's had some teaching from some kind of expert master. Um, not saying Doug Peterson's that good, but so far so good for the Jags, in my opinion. Um, you kind of, with that, you're looking at three teams between the, the Colts, Jags, Titans, one of them has to win the division. So between whichever two of them doesn't win the division, probably throw in the Broncos, the Chargers, the Bengals, and the Browns. Two of that list of teams is going to go into the playoffs. And it's quite hard to call, but it's like, are we going to say that an AFC West team is going to lose out to an AFC South team, for example? Or uh, I think the Bengals will, are going to rally around and make it through eventually, I would say. Yeah. So you're kind of looking at... Jag, I think the Colts will rally through and win the South. I think yeah. Jags, Titans, Broncos, Chargers, Browns for one spot. And there is a world and there is a possibility, and no, I am not trying to suck it to my wife here, where that game that just happened, where the Jags 38-10 the Chargers, could actually be the decision maker. Yeah. And the Jags could find themselves squeaking into a playoff spot on the basis of that one win against a banged up Justin Herbert. So there is definitely credence that I'd still I'd still feel like the Broncos will have a say in this, but they've got to sort of gel that offense quickly. And uh if they're gonna keep losing one or the other of Judy or Sutton to injury throughout the season, if they're gonna, you know, not have a case of use it unit, having already lost Tim Patrick. 
having already found no way to really incorporate a tight end properly, having a running back room that it's good but seems confused, it's hard to see them really gelling in time to make the playoff run, but I wouldn't rule them out. Yeah, look, I think it, it's one of those that I think the charges for me have been incredibly unlucky. I mean, you've only got to look now at this injury report. Rashawn Slate is done for the season. It's just been announced that Jalen Guyton is done for the season with a torn ACL, oh. so that's another weapon that's gone. Um, obviously, still waiting for news on Joey Bosa, but that doesn't look good. Justin yeah. Herbert's not going to get better anytime soon, um, and he's going to be limited. I just think it's a real, real shame for Chargers fans, but I just think there are far too many key injuries at key positions. Corey Lindsay's still out. JC Jackson's still out. You know, the, the list just seemingly goes on and on and on. I just think there's too much there for them to overcome. The Raiders... Look, there's so many stats on teams being 0-2 when it was a 16-game season and 0-2 and your chances of making the playoffs are very, very minimal. Um, you know, OK, we're in a 17-game season, they were in expanded playoffs, but 0-3, surely the stats on that are even worse and they could they could be done already, um, as stupid as that sounds in week three. But 0-3, these stats are there for a reason. Um, you know, so they're probably done. So you are then looking at, you know, one of them's going to win the division in terms of the Chiefs or the Broncos, in terms of the two that are left in the conversation there. I've been as high as anybody on the Broncos. I think they're brilliant on the defensive side of the ball and that's showing up um, and that will keep them in games. I refuse to believe that it won't get better on the offensive side of the ball, um, but it's been a massive disappointment. There's no sugarcoat in that. I thought the upgrade at quarterback would be huge and would pay pretty much instant dividends. It certainly hasn't done that. They've been one of the most boring teams to watch on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, Josh joked about it earlier. Ten times the Denver Broncos punter was on the field yesterday. Ten punts Ten. in the game. I don't. I, I would. I haven't got the stats in front of me, but I would be amazed if the Bills punt has been on the field ten times in the last six games, stretching back to last season. Um, you know, so to come out ten times in one afternoon is is is, a, is an indictment on where you are. It's been the most disappointing division, I think, in football, given all of the hype mm. that it had in terms of the star acquisitions that came across. Um, and let's be honest, some of the carryover from last season in terms of the expectations, in terms of the Chargers and the Raiders sort of having that last Sunday night football game of the season where, you know, both, you know, with a miraculous draw could have got into the playoffs. There could have been three teams in the playoffs last year. That It was that nip and tuck. So it certainly has been disappointing. But I think on the whole, mate, I don't think it's too far-fetched because I certainly think other divisions seemingly have a more consistent bunch of teams that will be fighting out for those spots as well. So certainly questions to be asked in the East. What's your second one, mate? So the second one, we touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of the Bucks and the Packers game, but this one is a bit more general. Are we moving past a superstar weapon is all you need, League? Uh, so, for example, all, all, all you need to be successful or to be able to get a good degree of success on the side of the ball that you're on is to be able to have a superstar that you go to all the time. The reason why I bring it up, um, Justin Jefferson, for example, I think has been limited to all of about four receptions in the last two games. It's definitely not a, a high amount of um, of touches. You look at... Um, 
you look at the fact that in both the Packers and the um, the, the Bucks game, it, it would have needed somebody. But you know, if you take that one person away, then you're completely decrepit of talent. Um, there's a few other examples as well. You know, the Chargers game, even you know, you look at the fact that Keenan Allen's out, and then you know, Justin Herbert. I mean, he's clutching his ribs at every opportunity, but he's looking for a guy to get open as well. You know, you need depth seems far more important than having that one key superstar acquisition nowadays. And I think that that is a recent trend because teams are locking down the superstars more. Now they are extending a lot more, um, you know, a lot more time to actually just bring that down rather than looking at things from a whole team scheme perspective. Look at it from um, on a defensive side of the ball as well. Um, the Browns pretty much only had Miles Garrett as a superstar at one point uh, during the Steelers game, and the Steelers just marked him out the game pretty much by putting double and triple coverage on Garrett, making making the Browns' defense seemingly docile as well. So. You know, are we moving towards a depth is king league? Yeah, James, I'll throw it to you again, mate. You obviously come with a, a sort of fantasy head on at times, so you'll obviously be looking at sort of superstars that stand out on teams, but just in terms of the general thing, not in terms of winning fantasy games, mm-hmm. but in terms of winning games in the league. What's your view on that from Josh? Yeah, obviously with my fantasy standpoint, I can feel qualified to talk on the offensive side. I actually sort of pre-show mocked up a little sheet of trying to work out which teams kind of run on the basis that they only really have one superstar where if that one went down, they'd be in trouble. And I think I had about five teams on this. So like Najee Harris for the Steelers, Derek Henry for the Titans, Saquon for the Giants, and McCaffrey for the Panthers. It's a case of if you lose that one player, your season is over, in my opinion, for those teams. Um, I think there is a, a good element of that in that, I suppose the one thing that actually bucks the trend a little bit is the Chiefs, that now that you take Tyreek Hill out of that team, you take out arguably their superstar. I know you've got Travis Kelsey, but that's kind of two different roles. So, in fact, no, it is an argument because Kelsey is the one superstar they needed to really to be a bit more rounded. Um, yeah, I think every team can make that like argument three. the Ravens as well. Because you can make that argument with the Ravens as well that they've run through yeah. Mark Andrews, if not um, Lamar Jackson himself. Yeah, it's there. It's say, I mean, the the Rams are a bit of a question mark, and the 49ers with Debo Samuel, you could argue in that bracket as well. But really, I think most teams nowadays, it's either sort of running back and wide receiver by committee, or you have sort of two or three superstars. And I think the the issue the league sometimes has, which you notice more in fantasy, is sometimes when the one, like, you know, the num- you, know you have two superstars at the same position. So you've got, like, you know, Waddle and Hill or Jefferson and Thielen, um, as we mentioned earlier, um, Brown and Smith at the Eagles. If you lose one of them, the extra coverage on the person that remains does sometimes stifle them. So in some ways, even you know, two superstars isn't enough nowadays. So you do need that supporting cast going around. Um, and I'd even say in modern times, when you look at some of the better teams, you always find that the tight end is usually quite prevalent in receptions as a sort of alternative option to a superstar wide receiver as well. Um, I mean, the Ravens, maybe you couldn't maybe call Bateman and Duvernay superstars, but 
they're at a level that's serviceable that gets you do that gets it done. They have their purpose, which is release valve, end zone shot. Yeah, and cetera. that's and that's more my point as and well. You need it, you, it, it should be that you have guys who are able to do the job to a good standard and maybe pay them less, for example, as part of your team planning than you would on that one superstar. Um, the you know, way, as it used to be called. Yeah, but but for but for now, more as like a total philosophy rather than just Bill being a pseudo god, as it yeah. was. I think I as. think you still need you need about three or four players that are shall we say above average, um, to note so that you know what you're doing, because mm -hmm. you can land yourself in a Chicago situation where you have quite a lot of not a lot and you just decide I'm not going to pass the ball. I'm just going to use my two running backs, which is now down to one. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think, I think for me, the one, the one position that never changes in terms of needing superstars is the position that gets no love at all. And that's the trenches. That's the offensive line. That's the, yeah. that's the defensive interior more often than not. That's where you need your superstars because if you give, average players a base to work from then they've got a chance of succeeding um you know we'll we'll sort of i'll link this into a couple of the games from yesterday so take the the charges game for example now we've already mentioned the injury list in terms of what the charges are trying to deal with but look at the issues that offensive line or lack of offensive line had on that game yesterday you know rashawn slater goes down and it's just like open season for the um for the Jacksonville Jaguars, isn't it? In terms of getting pressure, in terms of getting quarterback hits, um, you know, it was a it was a real sort of you know example of where that protection and that base to build from is, is all important. Um, you know, you mentioned it in terms of the um, of, in terms of the Steelers and what they tried to do against Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett, to be fair, still disrupted that game in terms of what he was able to do. Even though he was, you know, limited in terms of the stat sheet, in terms of the sack numbers and those type of things, you know, he was very, very instrumental in the way that that game ultimately played out. Um, you know, so I do think you need the superstars in the positions that don't necessarily get all of the love and attention. Um, however, there are some superstars that seemingly can just put themselves to a different level. You mentioned Lamar Jackson earlier. Um, you know, he and Mark Andrews. You know, everybody knows cover Mark Andrews, yet nobody can still cover Mark Andrews. Um, you know, that's been the Ravens' MO for the last three years. It's still successful. Um, you know, there are all the examples that you could go to throughout the league. The Los Angeles Rams, Cooper Cup. Everybody knows God Cooper Cup. And to be honest, at the moment, considering that every time that it seems as though Matthew Stafford looks in Alan Robinson's direction, Alan Robinson's looking elsewhere, even more reason to cover Cooper Cup. And yet still, Cooper Cup manages to have massive influence on games. Obviously, added a rushing touchdown to his portfolio yesterday in the uh, in the win for the Rams against another team that's disappointed so far, the Arizona Cardinals. So I do think superstars obviously will always make their plays. Um, there'll be swings and roundabouts. There'll be games that they go missing, so to speak. Um, but I think the important thing is that depth, of, you know, particularly in the trenches. Football's always been the same, always, always been the same, that, you know, it's won and lost up front, isn't it? Let's be honest. So um, that's for me where the um, where the superstars need to be. What's your final one for the evening, mate? 
So the final one, um, this one could well be an overreaction to the weekend's uh, action, but I'm finding that the gap between like the true tier one and everybody else is the thinnest that it's been for a long, long time. Um, you know, outside of you know, tier one for me currently, it's very difficult to even place a true tier one because how big do you actually make it, first of all? I mean, you'd have had probably the Bills, maybe the Rams, maybe maybe the Eagles, uh, maybe the Chiefs in his tier one. Chiefs just got decimated by, um, by, by the Colts in like short time situation. Like they should not have been allowed to charge down the field the way which they did. Um, the Bills end up getting beaten in Miami. Uh, the Rams never look secure at the moment, no matter what. Everyone seems to be in games, um, regardless of how big the swing should be. I think that we've had the most one-score games for a long, long time. Um, you know, I look at schedules nowadays, and I can't, I, I can't seem to say with certainty as to you know which way that some of these you know more more favorable matchups end up being simply because you know you, they're likely to be within three four points going into the fourth quarter um and long may it continue obviously because competition is something which the league's usually good for and i think it may have lost its way in the last couple of years i think that there have been clear tiers whereas i'd say now you've probably got a you've got probably not great but very good tier of which is like from yeah it's probably built up of about 12 teams and then you've got um you, you know average to potentially good of which is like 13 down to maybe like 28 but then like 29 to 32 is you know take the piss at your peril because they they'll still smash you in the mouth you know i'm looking at the falcons game for the browns next week and i'm thinking they could easily smash us in the mouth um you know so it's uh it is what it is but uh, i actually think that this is probably the most competitive league for years yeah so on that jones I'll give you some stats on it so with three weeks in so far there are only two teams yet to secure a victory the houston texans who obviously have got a draw, um, which always cocks up everybody's predictions, doesn't it? But they've got that 0-2-1 record, and the Raiders at 0-3, the only teams without tasting a victory. And even after three weeks, we only have three perfect teams, the Miami Dolphins, the Philadelphia Eagles, and pending Monday Night Football, of course, the New York Giants, who potentially could also move to 3-0 and against the Cowboys tonight. Everybody else has obviously either won a game, tasted defeat in a game. So to, to Josh's point, you know, there's 27 teams there that have at least won a game and lost a game. So I suppose for the neutral and for anybody new into the league, this is what makes it great, isn't it? This is what makes it exciting. This is why we love, or people love Red Zone, the witching out in particular. Yesterday was brilliant, wasn't it? We'll touch on some of the results in a minute. But just in terms of the competitiveness of it, what, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'll throw in one extra little stat here because I was looking at point differences across three games and there are 12 teams who are within plus minus 10 in terms of points for points against, which it's to, to me it's amazing. In terms of if you make that plus minus 25, 
So that's you know averaging you know eight points a game, either winning or losing. You you're down to five teams left that are outliers, which are the Eagles and the Bills are performing above, you know, towards the forties and the fifties, and then the Chargers, the Titans, and the Jets, who are you know negative and plunging further. So other than that, a bunch of other teams are very much in that middle ground, and. In many ways, it goes back to the second question about, you know, oh, which te- which team is going to get the wildcard spots in the AFC? And in many respects, the same goes for the NFC as well. Reality is you, you could be looking at seven, eight teams fighting over one yeah. or two places for a long time this season. We could get through all the bye weeks and still have as much clue today as we do then in some respects. That It is fantastic for the league. You're going to still have one or two teams. I still think... The way the Eagles have started, the way that the Bills still will look overall, um, even you could debate the Dolphins as well in there, you know, potentially. But I I agree with your point there, Josh, in that it, the gap isn't that big. And, you know, it, the old adage of any given Sunday, um, it's very much alive and kicking, but to the point that we're almost not as surprised, or at least, you know, the, it's not as much of a novelty. The, the gap is closing and... You know, I think you only have to look at, um, say, one of the teams that I'm really enjoying this year is actually the Detroit Lions. And they seem mm. to have turned the corner yep. a little bit. I mean, that, this, my favorite start of the weekend, and I hope I'm not treading on anyone's feet here, was that they got two, and I don't know whether it extended, but it, Scott Hansen kept going on about it in red zone. They'd had 18 consecutive quarters with a touchdown hmm. um, after they had it in, I believe it was the second quarter in that game. So it might have even extended. I haven't actually kept up, but that that you would not have believed that stat would relate to the Detroit Lions as of last year, for example. So it's amazing what can happen just in a short space of time. Yeah, no, it definitely is, mate. It did extend to the third quarter. Unfortunately for the Lions, it ended there. Because um, oh. if, if they'd have got another one, then obviously they'd have snuck that win. But yeah, Minnesota coming back to win that one in the end with 14 points of their own yeah. in the fourth quarter. Um, another witching and, hour special. Yeah, recently it was <laughs> yeah. great yesterday. Like Josh alluded to it earlier, obviously our teams played Thursday night, didn't they? So I think a lot of us were, were tuned in for that sort of period um, to see the conclusion of that early window. And we got some fantastic finishes, didn't we? Um, you know, we looked at one point as though the Saints might try and forge a comeback against the Carolina Panthers, and that fell just short. You had Houston and Chicago that was tied at 20 all, and Davis Mills throws a pass that gets tipped at the line and intercepted by Roquan Smith, allowing the Bears to end up with a game-winning field goal. How are the Chicago Bears 2-1? and one? I mean, that's the answer to this whole debate in terms of parity isn't it the Chicago Bears look like one of the worst teams in all of football and yet they're two and one um yep. you obviously had a great finish between Kansas City and Indianapolis with that finish 20 points to 17 Indianapolis getting the go-ahead score with 24 seconds left um and just when you think Patrick Mahomes is going to get them back into field goal range and interception ends that one so that was another close finish in that early window obviously you had the fireworks between Buffalo and Miami um, Ken Dorsey's managed to make himself the most memed man on the internet in the space of 24 <laughs> hours. Um, fantastic reaction in the booth. We just talked about Detroit and Minnesota. That was another one, wasn't it, in the early window? And the other one in the early window that went close as well, of course, was the um, the Raiders and the Tennessee Titans, where it was a, a two-point attempt away from that one being tied up. So all of these games yesterday all came down to, to you know, sort of single 
single moments, vocal plays. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, mate, yeah, the, the gap between the teams does seem as close as it ever has done. I think from the league's perspective, they will be absolutely cock-a-hoop with that because that's what it's all designed to do. It's designed to give us this parity. It's designed to give us these close finishes, this any given Sunday mentality. Um, and that's the absolute beauty of it. Every season, it always comes down to how many of these one-score games can you actually get over the line? And you'll find that the good teams are the ones that obviously do that with more consistency. You know, I know we've we've talked a little bit about what happened on, in terms of Thursday night, but the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, have been the prime example of that over the years, haven't they? Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record. They've always found a way to win the majority of tight games. Now, this might be the year that he runs out of runs out of luck, and obviously the offense needs to start start scoring more points to allow them to be in in more of these games because the defence, you know, is still as good as it can be in terms of sort of certainly the secondary and TJ, what makes a huge difference. It's obviously very soft against the run. It has been soft against the run for a couple of years now, um, which is unlike Pittsburgh, um, you know, but, you know, they're another team that, you know, needs to start winning some of these close ones. So, yeah, really looking forward to another week of craziness because that's what's around the corner and I'm sure there'll be plenty other close finishes. Um, let's run through all the scores, including the ones that we haven't even touched on. Um, and I'll come to you guys for a little bit of commentary on them. Just a little bit of an update on the Pickham League, which I will give you in the in the next moment or two when I've signed in. Because it signed me out to my account, so that's a little bit embarrassing. So I can't actually... Uh, do it. you want me to get it up for you, pal? If you've got it, mate. If you've got it. Yeah, that's because I... I I'm... that's just joined, doesn't it? Can you get it up for look, me, Look, look, I'm more than happy something. to brag about my current position in the Pickham's League, mate. It's fine. You go. Uh... <laughs> Okay, so in the full 10 yards, Pickham, currently there is a three-way tie at the top. Um, my missus, actually, Louise Kiergan, is top of the full 10 yards Pickham League, thanks to total margin on Thursday night football. Now, she knows bugger all about all the ins and outs. <laughs> she gets half of it from me, and half of it is just with her gut. We end up splitting, like, one game every week somehow. She got me on the uh, Titans-Raiders game this week, and that's what took her over the top. Uh, John uh, Johnny Boy Floyd um, is in second spot. Again, 29 points, um, just two margin points off on second. And then there's me. Again, 29 points, the one additional margin point. Sean, you're not too far away, bud. 27 points there. So you're in fifth. Are you part of this, James? I can't remember if you are or not. I don't, uh, to be honest, I think I missed in week. I, I like missed the deadline by a short period of time, and no. kind of at that yeah, point, I, was I, was like, I can't see. Yeah. To be honest, when I'm managing five fantasy leagues, I think the pickings kind of fell by the weight. Sadly, uh, I really they, should. I was, yeah, I was they, meant to there you it. are. I I can see it. So if you are um if you are indeed a week later, which it definitely looks like you might be, you you're a nineteen at the moment. All uh, right, nineteen points. Well, that's more, so that's nineteen really... more than I thought I was on. So I'll take that. Yeah, you're uh, you're you're ten points off the pace, mate. It's only one week. It's one week of people forgetting that they have picks to make. 
It's a tough week this <laughs> week. So let's run let's run through all the scores and like I say, I'll get your commentary in a minute, fellas. So starting back on Thursday night football, Cleveland 29, Pittsburgh 17. Sounds really dominant, but they uh, the score padded slightly by a last um Last play touchdown for the Browns. Um, I had a few nightmares that they were going to throw that game away as well, but the Browns hung on 29-17. New Orleans 14, Carolina 22. This was another weird one, James, from a statistical point of view. James Winston throws for a million yards. The Saints have yards all over the place, but it's the Carolina Panthers that take this one. And the Saints, lots and lots of questions, lots of people's dark horses at the start of the season. They've looked really, really poor, haven't they, mate? Yeah, Jameis Winston, you cannot ask Jameis Winston to carry a team on his back, especially after the news that broke earlier about how much of his back is actually broken. But um, I kind of, there was one thing I quickly went to find out with Carolina when I was writing my fantasy article, which will be on the site in the morning, how their wide receiver core is so weird that DJ Moore had two carries and one reception for a grand total of 15 yards in total, and he, it, the carries were worth most of that. Shai Smith was second highest receiver with two receptions for 22 yards. LaVisca Chenault got 90 yards and a touchdown on his two receptions, which was essentially uh, 90% of their output in terms of um, passing. Uh, so I imagine you're glad you got rid of Baker Mayfield. Um, and Robbie Anderson had one catch himself as well. So... Yeah, I think Baker Miffer, what was it, 13, no, 12 completions out of 25. Yeah, look, that offense a, is not good. No, it's been a really rough start for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, they won. Fair, like, like I say, you know, me and Josh were two Baker Mayfield fans. I think that's safe to say, but it certainly hasn't worked well so far. Like you say, DJ Moore, you know, completely missing in action. Um, you know, like you say, one reception for two yards. I mean, the LaVisca Chenault one, just when it looked as though New Orleans might find a way back into the game, it was a real busted play. Um, you know, he should have been tackled behind the lot, you know, behind the um, the line of scrimmage. It was a pass that actually, you know, didn't actually, I don't even think it got back to the line of scrimmage. It was a forward pass. It wasn't a lateral, but it was one of those that two Saints defenders basically tried to converge and ended up almost tackling each other. And LaVisca Chenault was off to the races. And like you say, 67 of those 170 Baker Mayfield yards came from that pass, um, yeah. you know, which is always the argument of how many of these yards actually should go against the QB. Um, but yeah, problems in both of these franchises. The NFC South looks a real train wreck, doesn't it? Let's be completely honest. Um, nobody jumping on the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have problems of their own and these two teams... Um, you know, certainly not uh, pulling up trees yesterday. Houston 20, Chicago 23, just mentioned it um, in terms of um, Davis Mills throwing a key interception um, late in the day. Texans continue to be competitive but unable to find a way to get the job done. But Josh, how much of a panic should people be in if, if you were a Justin Fields fan? Um, it's kind of become a little bit of a joke throughout the course of the season, but his passing line from yesterday, 8 of 17 for 106 yards, with two interceptions, I, I joked how on earth are the Bears two and one? This can't, this isn't sustainable. It can't go on, can it, man? It really can't. Uh, Fields' days are probably numbered, of which, um, yeah, you, you've got to wonder what's going on because even behind closed doors, um, not even behind closed doors, even uh, it looked like Fields has got some 
some beef with potentially Bears fans, potentially with Bears staff. There's all sorts of whispers going on about um, discontent going on there. I mean, if there was ever if there was a, ever a guy who's been stifled in terms of his output, it's Justin Fields. You know, 17 attempts, which I actually think is more attempts than he's had all season um, so far. Uh, combined i think um but he's made eight of those as a completion and uh 100 and 106 yards and you you'd think then surely he's doing a lot on the ground himself you know he's a mobile quarterback he was brought in as that he was brought in as someone that had similar characteristics to someone of a lamar jackson type you know whatever people needed to tell themselves to make them think that justin fields was ever a good choice to make in the draft don't draft ohio state quarterbacks that aren't cj stroud guys um but no eight carries for 47 yards of which that means his combined yardage is 164 yards or 163 yards and two interceptions um there's no quarterback out there that's currently playing that is as bad as that and it's going to end up just dragging them down. They are living on Khalil Herbert at the moment, who made 20 rushing attempts for 157 yards and two touchdowns. They're living on Herbert, and they can't they can't depend on a single running back, really, to carry them because teams will just stack the box, and that'll be it. Because can you trust Fields to throw to someone longer on a, on a, on a, on a deep ball? He doesn't even have the practice. Now I was gonna gonna throw in here that with my fantasy hat on, Justin Fields is now at a stage where if you're in a superflex league, so one where you'll start a QB and then there is another position where you can play pretty much any offensive position, including quarterback, you would usually play a second quarterback. If Justin Fields is your second quarterback, I would rather play a running back, wide receiver, or even a tight end in, over him right now. And even Davis Mills, in that even in that game alone, they weren't even in the top five fantasy scorers. I mean, Justin Fields was about eighth in his own team in terms of fantasy points scored, <laughs> which is kind of an unreal stat. Darnell Mooney's value is next to zero. And I mean, what happened to him with all the hype that was there in that season? Um, yeah. well, I did. Can I throw out one little quick fun stat that I saw in one of the groups I was in? Which okay. um, it's more of a family thing, but Equinemius St. Brown, the almost only receiver of any kind of note for the Bears at the minute, it seems to so he can, he's the one who's used to living off scraps, but living off scraps is the way to score points in Chicago. But there are only two players in the NFL this season that have a rush of 30 plus yards, a reception of 30 plus yards in this season. Equinemius St. Brown is one, name the other. I, I've seen it, so I'm not going to spoil it. Go on, Josh. Uh, oh, goodness. Uh, so a rush and a reception. Tyreek Hill? Both 30 yards plus. Nope. It's his brother, Amon Ra St. Brown. Oh, so you're that, kidding. It's, 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 such a, it's such a random stat, awesome but they found that's a stat that matches both brothers. And that's that kind of... is an incredibly wholesome stat. We're not going to have a stat more wholesome than that this season. <laughs> the Equinemius St. Brown redemption arc after leaving the Packers is real. And it's the only, well, that and Khalil Herbert are about the only good stories coming out of Chicago. And the fact that they are still somehow two and one. 
Yeah, unbelievable that they are 2-1, and one, but that is where they are. They've got the same record now as the Kansas City Chiefs. How about that for you? Chiefs 17, Indianapolis 20. We touched on that earlier. Bad day at the office for the Chiefs and plenty of arguing between Mahomes and Eric Bieniemy in particular. The Rams 20, Arizona 12. I'm still not convinced on the Rams, to be completely honest, but even more convinced that the Cardinals are actually pretty terrible. Um, like I said earlier, Cooper Cup getting a rushing touchdown in this one as the Rams um, improve themselves to two and one. Arizona dropped to one and two. The Sunday night football punt fest that we described. I was convinced this morning, fellas, when I woke up, this was going to be scoregami, but it wasn't. Apparently, it's happened once before in NFL history. 11 points to 10. Um, and you know exactly what game that was, don't you, James? At one point, it was 7 um, points to 5, which had surely got to have been scoregami if it had finished that way. But yeah, 11 10. Um, Denver getting it done with a late fourth quarter rushing touchdown um, to improve them to two and one. Um, and yeah, like I say, a pretty messy game all round. If you stayed up for that one as a neutral, you have plenty, plenty of admiration from me because my God, that must have been a tough watch. Uh, Buffalo 19, Miami 21. Talked about that plenty earlier. Strange game. Miami improved to three and zero. Um, Buffalo, I would suggest if you're a fan of the Bills, you would be pretty happy with what you saw and considering how banged up you were. Um, I think, like I say, come the uh, the rematch, whenever that is on the schedule, I think the Bills will feel quite happy about themselves. But absolutely Hope fair play snow. to Miami. Hope for snow. Hope for snow, indeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just to get them back, stand them in, stand exactly. them in the freezing cold. Yeah. The complete opposite of what we saw. <laughs> like, how from, hard from 40 is degrees to minus 40. That's how it works. Yeah. This is one of the only divisions where that is possible. The only, the other one being the NFC East, where you've got either balmy sunshine or cold, bitter snow. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, it will be interesting, won't it, if it is played in snow. It'll be, uh, be quite the contrast. Uh, Detroit 24, Minnesota 28. I think we're all in agreement. We're all enjoying watching the Lions play, but we want to see them get over the line a bit more. Um, they see many find ways to lose. And again, Minnesota coming back, winning this one late with a Kirk Cousins pass to KJ Osborne um, with about 40 odd seconds left. Um, put that one away for Minnesota. Could end up being a really big win in terms of wild cards and all of that kind of thing down the line. It seems ridiculous to talk this early about that, but these things will matter come the final shake-up. Baltimore 37, New England 26. At times, the Patriots were in front in this one, but Baltimore ultimately always seemingly had enough in hand. Probably even more significantly is the news at the back end of it that in garbage time, when the game was already dead and buried, um, that Mac Jones ends up with a pretty severe, to use the quote that's been used today, high ankle sprain. Um, if it's a pretty severe ankle sprain, fellas, any optimism we've been playing this week is surely. surely uh, he's going on IR. He's got to. He's got to go on IR. I think that that's the that's the musing of which you're getting online currently. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian Hoyer says earlier that they were going to assess it and you know and all of this that, and the other. If it's pretty severe, high ankle sprains generally are you know anything from three to six weeks. If it's pretty severe, it's going to be six weeks or more. So yeah, it's a bit of a shame really that for the Patriots, but uh, Baltimore continue to look impressive on the offensive side of the ball at least. Um, although the defense hasn't necessarily lived up to its expectations. 
Uh, the Bengals finally on the scoreboard, fellas. Um, they get their first win of the season. They went up early and never relinquished that lead. Lived off plenty of turnovers four times. The New York Jets turned the ball over yesterday. Um, and Joe Burrow only sacked twice this week, fellas. Should we take a bit of a victory lap for that? He was only sacked twice. That seems like a vast improvement from where we have been so far this year. The Jets' um, line isn't the most threatening. Probably not, no, probably not. But one, one thing that was threatening, fellas, and I'll get your view on this quickly, the threatening thing for me in this game was that awful, awful, awful hit by LaMarcus Joyner on T. Higgins. If that guy mm. isn't suspended for multiple games, you've joked about it earlier, Josh, I don't know if it was on this podcast or another one that we may have recorded tonight, that Mike Evans is serving a suspension for pushing somebody. If LaMarcus Joyner isn't banned for weeks, the NFL needs to take a serious look at itself. Because, mate, I've watched 15 years of NFL football now. That's as bad as a hit as I think I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at it now because I'd almost forgot. Oof, yeah, no, that's a that is a pretty bad hit. The problem is, is that this league thrives on hits that look like they've at least been sporting that one to me it's uh they they won't give him a suspension i don't think um it's head on head and apart from that it's going to be seen as just a sporting incident because the league is violent that's the problem that you've got they they are more likely you're more likely to get done on a tippy tappy bit of nonsense like the evans Lattimore game last week than you are on a on an infield tackle which looks like a college targeting call but that's an interesting question though the targeting rule would you would you look to introduce that if uh if if that's the uh if that's the way in which we go down as a league you know are irrational because you're seeing it a lot more even that ravens patriots game matt jones did not need to get hit at all you know, rushing the passer used to be a used to be a flag I'd hate, whereas now I guess I kind of get it because all these like very obvious hits after the fact, you know, they're not very sporting. It's definitely targeting, and you know, maybe college got one right there. Yeah, I certainly think there's there's grounds for it, and like I so said, that hit in particular it really stood out to me yesterday. It sort of almost happened at the same time as the incident with Tua had happened. In the um, yeah. in the Dolphins game, and you know, like I say, you look at the two things in comparison. Matt Milano was was getting all sorts of criticism, and like I say, in the grand scheme of things, you know, unnecessary, but certainly nothing anywhere near as violent as that one. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the league do actually do. I mentioned it earlier; the Raiders still zero and three, only team now along with Houston to not get a victory. Tennessee in the win column, twenty four twenty two. Derrick Henry finally getting something going on the season. Uh, Jacksonville 38, the Chargers 10. James, we've talked a lot about the Chargers injuries and all things standing. Look, they're obviously banged up and beaten up. But you've got that Jaguar shirt behind you. I know it's the uh, the love of the other yeah. half, mate, and not your team. But she must be loving what she's seen from this Jacksonville team. And Trevor Lawrence has looked really, really, really good this last two weeks. I don't know if there's anyone more surprised than her, to be honest. She was just, she was just like happy to come along for the ride and just, you know, enjoying just supporting the sport that I enjoyed for so long. And uh, all of a sudden, there's three people in this family who are uh, NFL fans, and she's the one with the most grounds to celebrate. Because <laughs> the Jags look stronger than both the Steelers, and her dad is a 49ers fan. So right now, she's the one with the moral and statistical high ground. But Trevor Lawrence with 
a capable coaching squad with a bit of experience is looking really solid and is starting games with multiple complete passes when it's the scripted stage. James Robinson looks like the rookie James Robinson that just bursts onto the scene from nowhere. Travis Etienne is, in fantasy world, he's kind of being, you know, that meme where there's the kid being held up in the pool and then there's the one slowly sinking and then there's the one at the bottom. (laughs) Etienne is the one that's sort of slowly sinking. He's not yet yet a ground zero, but James Robinson is the one being held up in the life raft kind of thing. Well, ETN's got, I think ETN is going to get worked into that offense even better and, you know, be one of those true pass catching running backs that's going to get touchdowns at, at, you know, quite a fast rate. And then Christian Kirk looks like a great fit, a great weapon. And then it's keeping up with the Joneses in terms of Zay and Marvin that they could both just be a threat on any week. It's very much a team that has no true superstar, but all of them are of a very similar level, which is very good. And that defense even looks like it's grown. And the offensive line looks like it's grown. Like I said for many years that the Jags are like a bottom five offensive line. I, and then I I dared comment this week at some somewhere that the Jags offensive line looks top 10. Uh, I got left out of the room, but then the final score came along and I was slowly but surely re-entering that statement. Yeah, now listen, mate. I think look, I think you alluded to it earlier. There's still obviously a long way to go. You will believe it when you see it. There's obviously two teams in terms of the Colts and Titans that have proved it over the course of the last few years. But for the Jags to even be entering people's thought process and conversations, really does go to show you how far they have come on and what a difference a coaching staff makes. I think. You know, we commented earlier about Mike McDaniel probably obviously being the standout in terms of the head coaching hires. Doug Pedersen deserves probably some honourable mentions there, um, you know, oh, in yeah. terms of what he's been able to do. And like I say, certainly in terms of Trevor Lawrence, massively impressed with, with what I've seen the last couple of weeks. Actually looks a bit like the quarterback that came in with all the hype and, you know, it didn't really obviously deliver in his rookie season. Probably gets a bit of a pass for everything that was going on, though, in terms of the circumstances. We've mentioned a couple of these other ones, so we'll wish through. Green Bay 14, Tampa Bay 12, possibly the last Rodgers-Brady matchup. And if it is, thank God for that, because, God, God, Lord, it was terrible, wasn't it? Philadelphia 24. It's had its time in the NFL, I'm afraid. It certainly has. It certainly has. Philadelphia 24, Washington 8, as we mentioned earlier. Um, and the final game that we haven't given any love and attention to, fellas. So let's end with this one. Atlanta winning on the road 27-23 against Seattle. Quite an entertaining game, I thought, Josh, to be fair. It was. It was a game I was keeping on top of because obviously the Falcons are the Browns game next. So uh, did a little bit of scouting on that. And you know, the Falcons are a sneaky, fun team to watch. They've got a few gadget players. You know, Drake London is very, um, you know, is very interesting to watch. I think he was a great grab for them. Kyle Pitts is Kyle Pitts. You know, he he He's finally rightly... arrived. This yes, yes. I think they're, they're, they're weeks, using him better. Back. Yeah, and I think that they're using him better as well. Mariota has spells where you can see as to why he's in a situation where he's currently at, but also you get spells that he, you know, was once a very coveted quarterback in the league as well. So you can't ever count them out. And also, can we give Geno Smith some love? You know, he's, you know, considering as to how 
how down bad everyone was about Seattle post Wilson, etc. You know, likely that Drew Locke was going to come in, and in the end, it was Gino, and everyone's all of a sudden just selling Seattle stock left, right, and center. He's keeping them competitive in some of these um, in some of these plays which they're doing. It's just that if he has to force it towards the end of the game, he's not good at that. And you can tell that the occasion probably gets a bit too much for him on that. So, um, you know, there's still room for optimism in Seattle, but two fun teams for sure. And that's another reason as to why I think the gap is ever smaller. You know, those two teams are towards the bottom of the league, but they are fun to watch. Yeah, most definitely can't disagree with that. As I said earlier, there's one game left on the slate for the week. Giants uh, looking to move to 3-0 and against the Cowboys and, of course, Cooper Rush. Uh, so that's your Monday night football for anybody that's staying up uh, into the early hours of the morning. And then it all kicks off again, Thursday night football. We've got Bengals and Dolphins. So that's a good one to open up the week's slate. Obviously, it's the first week that we're in London, fellas. Saints and Vikings, um, obviously big game in the NFC, potentially teams that may well be involved in the wild cards and all that kind of thing come the end of the season shake-up. Big game in the early window, Ravens and Bills in the AFC. I'm really looking forward to watching that one. Late window, probably highlighted by, oh my word, that's a tough-looking late window. Dearly me, fellas, this is the late mm. window. Sunday. Panthers, Cardinals, Raiders, Broncos, Packers, Patriots. Good luck, Sky Sports, picking a winner out of that. Well, my word, that's not going to be entertaining viewing, is it? And then we end Sunday Night Football, Bucks Chiefs, 49ers, Ramsey's Monday Night Football. Uh, and we'll be back, of course, next Monday to review all of that lot. As we said, though, last week, make sure you are tuned into all things Full 10 Yards and the Full 10 Yards Network for plenty of content and podcasts from individual teams and channels throughout the league. Thursday, you can get the go for two podcasts with the boys looking ahead to the week's action, get some previews in a bit more depth. And if you do like to have a flutter, then obviously check out the betting podcast as well, the full 10 yards betting podcast with Adam and the gang, always giving you some sound betting advice. Um, and they'll be back later on in the week uh, to have a look at what the markets are telling us in terms of week four. Um, but as always, fellas, we know nothing. So it's always just good advice, nothing more than that, because the NFL always throws up surprises. We'll be back next week. Steve, hope you do get a ticket, mate. Hope you do get a ticket to see the Eagles next week. Uh, Eagles, Jags, all of a sudden, that's a really tasty game, isn't it, brother? Really tasty game. Yeah, all, all of a sudden, this, he he, he was looking for to be cheaper. want to go and watch that game, didn't he? He thought, yeah, it'll be a nice, yeah. easy thing to get a ticket for, and now they're sold out. So, yeah, yeah good luck. It's going to be 200 mate. quid on to tick pick, <laughs> unfortunately. And there will be a cast of full 10 yards members next week uh, to review all things because Steve won't be with us again. So it may well be James for a second week. We'll sort all that out between now and then. Until then, though, this has been the Full 10 Yards podcast. Thanks for listening in and we'll catch you all again same time next week. <laughs>